I decided to rock the early 80s football jersey from my high school days. Complete with the mid-drift. With the big, with the big holes like, the, like God intended football jerseys to be made. I made sure that I wore a shirt under the jersey. Because last time I wore this, I didn't have a belly to show. And this time when I wore I don't want to show the belly I have. But this is, uh, this is uh, back in the day when they were... Can you imagine how big these things were back in... Now they're all skin tight because they don't want to be held. Back in the day, we were men and we didn't mind being held. But uh, anyway. Super Bowl Sunday, huh? Grabs the attention of the nation. I, I looked up some stats I want to share with you. $340. The average cost of a hotel room for one night down in the L.A. area. $6,214. The average ticket for the past five Super Bowls. Well, last five years, the average ticket over $6,000 a piece. For a 30-second commercial this year, $6.5 million. I looked up some other stats about what we're about to uh, engage upon after church during the Super Bowl. Did you know that the average household buys the equivalency of 6,000 calories of snacks per person? <laughs> ah! It's the second largest grilling day of the year, second only to the 4th of July. 14 billion hamburgers will be grilled today. 1.3 billion chicken wings. That's a lot of chickens that are forced to run around for the rest of their lives now. 162.5 million pounds of chicken will be cooked or consumed today. 12.5 million pounds of bacon will be consumed. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips will be consumed today. 10 million pounds of ribs. 8.2 million pounds of tortilla chips. 8 million pounds of guacamole. 4 million pounds of pretzels. 3.8 million pounds of popcorn will be made. 325 and a half million gallons of beer will be consumed. $2.4 million will be spent on soda pop. And by an increase of 20%, antacid cells will go up tomorrow. Other than a celebrated day of gluttony, there can be redeeming qualities about today. If you have eyes to see what most don't see. I talk a lot about a biblical worldview and the necessity for people who call themselves Christ followers to develop and to practice a biblical worldview. What a biblical worldview means is that I begin to see the world 
through truths of Scripture, even in things that were not meant to point to Scripture. Here's what I know. Every desire and every passion and every pleasure we have inside is simply a shadow of the pleasure and desire of heaven pulling us there. Because the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. So everything that we experience in this world of pleasure, of desire, is honestly a pull and desire for something far greater, far more pleasurable, far more lasting. Eternity with our Creator. And so a biblical worldview, as we develop and practice that, we start to see the truths of Scripture and deep theological stuff and hints and whispers and inklings of Jesus in all things. And so to prove it to you, 30-second theology. The Bible and theology and Super Bowl commercials. You ready? I've got some from this year that have been pre-released, and I've got some from the last two Super Bowls. And so 30-second theology based on Super Bowl commercials. Here we go. Most people see a commercial about Jeep. Biblical worldview sees a resurrection. Do you understand? The resurrection is the greatest doctrine in the entire Bible. All of Christianity is built on the foundation and the bedrock of the resurrection. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, all faith is in vain. See, the, the thing about the resurrection we have to understand is that once, what, what was once dead is now alive. And it, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the bedrock and foundation of every belief and doctrine in Scripture. The only thing people had to do after Jesus' crucifixion to dispel and ruin the whole thing called Christianity was to provide a body. Nobody's ever done that. It's easy to show a dead body. It ain't going nowhere. Everybody knew after Jesus was crucified where the body was buried. The only thing they had to do was go to where it was buried and say, here's the body. This whole belief system is bogus. The tomb was guarded by Roman guards. Their lives were on the line if anything happened to what was in that tomb because that tomb held supposedly a body that was convicted and punished and killed because it had broken law. And so the Roman guards were responsible for the results of that body. Had that body really not had it been stolen, they would have to pay the price. 
They weren't going to let anything happen to that thing. The Romans wanted Jesus to stay dead. But they couldn't produce a body. The Jews wanted Jesus to stay dead. They were the ones that propagated the whole crucifixion. But they couldn't produce a body. What I see in that commercial is the reminder of the promised resurrection. That it already occurred in Christ and it will occur for those coming after him, the Bible says. But now Christ has in fact been raised from the dead and he became the first fruits that is the first to be resurrected with an incorruptible, immortal body foreshadowing the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in death. For since it was by man that death came into the world, Adam in the garden, it was also by a man, Jesus the Christ, that the resurrection of the dead has come. What I see is a resurrection. Death thought it won. Death thought it crushed life. But Jesus beat them both. The old hymn, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He's the guarantee that we who have a relationship with Jesus beat death too. John 11, Jesus told the woman, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. <laughs> That's good news. I understand we work so hard to hold on to this life, but we got to understand that with the relationship with Christ, there's life to come that's better, bigger, and more lasting than this one. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never truly die. So we have a choice. It's really pretty simple. Either to disbelieve or believe the resurrection of Christ, that he is alive, and he is the way to eternal life. And that through him we beat death. Most people will today will see a commercial about a Jeep. I'll see a reminder of the resurrection. Right? But. What? Lipstick. Lipstick delivered with Uber Eats? It tastes like purple. <laughs> I love this. Oh my God. Ah. What I see is that there's a way that seems right to man. There, there's a way that seems like it's a good idea, but it only ends badly. Because what the Bible says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads only to death. What the Bible says is to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Even if it comes from Uber Eats, it doesn't mean it's food. In all your ways acknowledge and submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. See, what I see in a biblical worldview is this. 
is that there's this thing called sin. And when we make our choices based on our own understanding, it usually results in sin. Sin is any action, attitude, or thought that's contrary to God's standard. Every way that I choose, no matter how right it seems at the moment, if it's contrary to God's standard, it's sin. And it always goes badly. Everything I do, no matter how much it might feel as if it's right at the time, if it's contrary to God's standard, it will end poorly. Do you understand? Even if all the signs around you say, no, no, this is, this is right. The moment you partake, ew. right? And because of that, <laughs> your soap is ugh, and your body wash is a synthetic detergent, but you're not a dish. You're a man. Switch to Dr. Squatch Natural Soap for Men. For men who build things, open pickle jars on the first try. <laughs> Slay dragons and let their daughters braid their hair. Men who like to feel good and smell titillating. Dr. Squatch takes you places you never thought you'd go. Naked. <laughs> because... Our own choices in badly in a thing called sin. The Bible says, I need to be cleaned. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We can try all, all we can do in our effort to make ourselves better, to clean up the dirt of our past and our present, and it never works. Apart from Christ, cleansing. He alone has the soap and detergent to wash us clean. The Bible says, I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. It seemed like the right thing at the time. It ended badly because it was contrary to God's law and way. Therefore, it was sin. And I've tried everything to clean myself up. I cannot do it. I need God to clean me. Sin corrupts a relationship with God and makes us dirty when compared to God's perfection. See, here's the thing. You and I might not be dirty compared to someone else. There's probably people in your life that you are a lot better than, right? Let's just be honest. You know some, you know some, some nasty people. Is that not true? Right? Um, look, you're with them. You're with them at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You, and, you know who they are. You might be forced to be around them today. And, and, and so if we compare ourselves to each other, we're probably better than some, right? But the goal is not to compare ourselves to other dirty people and find someone a little bit more dirty than us to make ourselves feel better about our dirt. Because when we're talking about heaven, the only comparison is against a perfect God. 
And as good as we might be compared to a perfect God, we're pretty dirty. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because only he has the soap and the cleansing power to do that. Do you understand? The fact is, you and I need to get cleaned. And all the soap we can muster in ourselves isn't going to do it. We cannot clean ourselves by our best effort and being good. Only God can clean us of the dirt of sin. And we get clean by admitting we've broken his law, admitting we're sinners, and asking him to clean us, confessing our sin to God. See, this issue of being clean is really the issue of being sure of salvation. And it's something that I want you to be certain of. And so... Can we even afford this house? I'm pretty sure we can. Pretty sure. With Rocket Mortgage, you can be certain. Not pretty sure. What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. Pretty sure these are parachutes. Mine has a sandwich. That's mine. Pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're on. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Certain is better. Let's go with certain. Good choice. When you're buying a home, pretty sure isn't sure enough. When you need to be certain about how much home you can afford, Rocket can. Hi, neighbor. I'll hold the dog. Not again. <laughs> Some people see a commercial about Rocket Mortgage. I see a reminder of the certainty of salvation. It ain't good enough to be pretty sure you're going to make it. That ain't good enough. Some hope they're good enough to get into heaven. Some are pretty sure that they've done enough to qualify. Some aren't quite sure exactly how it all works. Pretty sure in good enough when we're talking about eternity. The Bible says, whoever has the Son has life. No, pretty sure about it. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, not just try to be pretty sure, so that you may know that you have eternal life. A lot of people think that good people go to heaven. That's not true. Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Only those who have a relationship with Jesus by faith and trust him as the leader of their life are forgiven and go to heaven. And I'm pretty sure about that. If you think you're good so you get to go to heaven, 
The question you have to ask yourself, I don't have to ask you, you have to ask yourself, is how do you know you've been good enough? How many good deeds is enough good deeds to be pretty sure you're getting into heaven? How many is enough? More than someone else? That's a pretty faulty standard. Because I guarantee you that someone else has done more good deeds than you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so no one can boast. See, here, here's, here's what we have to understand. And as I was watching these commercials, I thought, oh, this is such a reminder of salvation for me. Because religion is, is a two-letter word spelled D-O. What's that spell? Do. Religion is a word spelled do. Because it depends on what you do. Religion is always contingent upon what you do. The problem is you never know if you are doing enough. And you are under religion, you are always obligated to continue to do day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year. You can never stop doing with religion. And it's because of religion that spelled D-O, contingent upon what I do, that I can only be pretty sure that I'm going to make it to heaven. And so what happens that with, I'm going to tell you the problem with religious people. The problem with religious people is they're soon worn out because they're constantly remembering and realizing their own failure. They'll never be good enough. And if you're religious, you realize you'll never be good enough. And so religion becomes a burden, not liberation. Christianity is a four-letter word spelled D-O-N-E, which spells what? Done. Christianity is a four-letter word spelled done because Christianity is done by what Jesus has already done, not by what we do. Salvation through faith based on what Christ has done, it's finished not contingent upon what we have to do. So by faith, based on what Jesus has already done, I'm liberated from obligation. Do you understand? Because of God's grace. And so, don't be pretty sure about salvation. Be confident. By placing your faith in Jesus what he's already done on the cross. Do you understand? Yes, sir. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to worry about this. Where is everyone? Sprinkles original, barbecue, pizza. 
It's a barbecue pizza stack. Look, we're saved. Hey. We're going home. Hey. Jalapeno. Crunch. Ik schrijf die ons gestakken. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you've been forgotten about? Have you ever felt like you're just alone adrift out there? Have you ever felt like people just quit on you? God's not like that. When, 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 I, when I see that commercial, I think, you know what, that's unfortunately how so many people feel. Who, especially those who don't have a relationship with Christ. That life has forgotten about them, life has passed them by, they're just adrift somewhere. Hoping someone will notice, hoping someone will see, hoping someone will pay attention, hoping someone will show up and validate, hoping someone will show up. And what I'm reminded in looking at that commercial is this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will never, uh, will, will not slumber. He doesn't fall asleep on us. He doesn't get sidetracked. He doesn't get confused. He doesn't forget us. God will not forget about you. God will not fall asleep on you. God will not leave you adrift. God will not leave you neglected. God has not forgotten. Even when others walk out on you. Even when others leave you. The Bible says, Psalm 27.10, Even if my father and mother, those who should be my biggest champion, the ones who love me unconditionally, the ones who are all, even if they abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. In the Old Testament, the high priest, the one for whom was the representative of the people before God and God to the people, or a breastplate, and on the breastplate were 12 stones. One stone for every tribe, one of the, each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he had the tribes in, engraved, the tribes' names engraved on those stones, which was to symbolize the closeness of God's people to God's heart. As the high priest that represented him, he held his people close, engraved the tribes' names on the stones. So the people could see that we are close to God's heart. But I want to tell you something. That through faith in Jesus, we are more than just close to God's heart. Let, let me tell you how close we are. So he will never be able to forget about us. The Bible says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God says, I have etched 
your name in the palm of, did you realize this? This is what God says if you have a relationship with the Father through faith in the Son. That word engraved means literally, I have cut your name into the palm of my hand. That you are so close to the Father, he has cut your name into the palm of his hand. You think he's going to forget about you? My name. Because I placed my faith in Jesus and been forgiven is permanently carved into the flesh of God. My name is always in front of his eyes. You think he could ever forget about me? What about you? I know we live in a world that often forgets about us. I know that we live in a culture that often throws us aside. I know that we've been forgotten about by others. I know. But my biblical worldview, when I see a Pringles commercial like that, reminds me that other people may abandon me, but God never will. Because my name is cut into his hand. Do you understand? Thanks for bringing me with you guys today, Mr. and Mrs. Lopez. Not a problem, Josh. Hey, you two. Check out all these camera views in my Silverado. I can see in front of me, behind me, on either side of me. And it has this cam, so I can see if there's any funny business going on. You see any funny business going on? No, sir. Let's have a great day. The Chevy Silverado offers eight cameras with up to 15 different views. Find new views, find new roads. Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. Some people may see that commercial and think, ah, oh, that'd be a nice truck to have. I see that commercial and I think, you know, my biblical worldview reminds me that God loves me so much. Not only has he cut my name and engraved it in the palm of his hands, he loves me so much he can't take his eyes off. Genesis 16, 13 tells us one of God's names is Elroy. Not Elroy. Not from Chowchilla. Elroy. Which means the God who sees me. He is the God who sees me. Psalm 33, 18. But the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to this. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, are on those who hope is in his unfailing love. He can't take his eyes off us. Not because he's watching us for when we screw up. Not because he's watching us so he can punish us when we mess up. He's watching us for one reason. His eyes range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
He loves us so much his eyes are watching back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to find a heart who is committed to him so that he can do one thing, strengthen them. Watch him for those who trust him. Watch him for those who have put their faith in him. Watch him for those whose hearts is it so we can do one thing, give you strength. There's no reason why any of God's kids should ever stay weak. Now, I understand we might get weak for moments. I understand that. But you ought never stay weak. Because God is watching for those hearts who are his to strengthen them. Another version says, and to strongly support us. I see that commercial, and I don't see a fancy truck. I see a reminder of God's eyes on me because he loves me so much he cannot not look at me. And because of all this. Did I tell you I bought our car from Carvana? Yeah, ma. It was so easy. I found the perfect car. Under budget, too. And I get seven days to love it or my money back. I love it! I thought online meant no one to help me. But Susan from Carvana had all the answers. She didn't try to upsell me. Not once. Because they're not salespeople. <laughs> Where do you guess who just checked in on me? Mom. Susan from Carvana. <laughs> we'll drive you happy. When we understand all this stuff, that the resurrection is a fact. And because of my relationship with Jesus, I don't stay dead. When we understand all this that I realized I've gotten my own way. And those things seemed right to me. It was contrary to God's plan. When we understand these things, that I've been cleansed and forgiven by the only God who can cleanse and forgive me. When I understand these things, that I have assurance of salvation, not by what I do, but by what Jesus has already done. When I understand these things, that I know that God never sleeps on me and never will abandon me. And when I know these things, that he cannot take his eyes off me. When God wants to look, find me, to strengthen me, when I understand those things, I do one thing, and that's tell everybody about them. Because it's better than finding a good car. Amen. You understand? Matthew 28, Therefore Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. The key verb of all those verbs in that passage is to make disciples. That's the key verb in that, make disciples. After accepting Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, confessed your sin, have a relationship with the Father through faith in the Son, and you're still alive, the only reason why you're still alive is to tell other people about him. There's only two things that we can't do in heaven once we get there. Only two things. Sin. Can't sin in heaven. And tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. Because everybody in heaven is going to know. And so if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you're still alive on earth, since there's only two things you can't do in heaven that you can't do here, why do you think God left here to do one of those two things? Which one do you think it is?
We talk about our huddle all the time. Are these 8 to 15 people that we have in our lives that we have influence in in one way or the other. Some of those people in our huddle ought to be other people who know Jesus because we got to be strengthened. But a lot of those people in our huddle are people who don't know Jesus. And our responsibility, if you have a relationship with Jesus, after you've come to that relationship, is to tell those people in your huddle, those 8 to 15 people, about Christ. It's the only reason you're still breathing. This principle is all through the Bible. There was this one fellow who had had an incredible experience of God, and all he, of Jesus, and all he wanted to do was follow Jesus. You'd think that would be a good thing, right? All he wanted to do was travel with Jesus. Would Jesus ever tell him no? Like, you want to give your life and follow me? But look at what, this principle is so important. Look what Jesus said in, Matthew, in Mark 5, verse 19. He told this guy, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Just go tell them. Don't follow me. I, I don't travel around. I got 12 already. I'm good. I don't need any more friends. You know, I mean, have you ever been there? I got enough friends. I don't need another one. Just go to your own people. Notice what Jesus said. He, said. he didn't tell them, go to your own people and tell them how screwed up they are. He didn't say that. He didn't say, go to your own people and tell them about all their sins. He didn't say that. Just go to your people. Go to your huddle and tell them how God has had mercy. Just tell your story. This guy wanted to travel just as a disciple. And Jesus said, there's something more important for you to do than follow me around. And let's go back to your own people because only you can reach your own people. And only you can tell your story of what God has done in you. See, only you can witness effectively to people who previously knew you. Do you understand? If you got a good Bible, Psalm 71 is in it. It says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness all day long. I will proclaim your saving power, though I'm not skilled with words. You ever feel that way? If you have a relationship with Jesus, the best thing you can do with your life is tell those people in your huddle about him, even if you're not good with words. Here's what I know. You don't need to be able to do it well. You don't have to have the right words. You don't got to know the right theology. You don't even have to be able to answer their question. You just got to tell your story. It's all you got to do. If God has done great things, and if you've been forgiven, and if you've seen him break down walls between you and him in your life, tell your story. And use everything around you, even Super Bowl commercials, to tell the story of Jesus. We are God's plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. The church is the last ray of hope in the ever-darkening skies of human depravity. We're it. And so today, on this Super Bowl Sunday, 
I've got two things for you. Come to Jesus in faith if you haven't done that yet. Ask Him to forgive your sin. He's the only one who can. To make you clean. He's the only one who can. And receive the guarantee of salvation and resurrection. So far on earth, humans' mortality is just about at 100%. And the only way we can face that with hope is through a relationship with Jesus Christ and receive the assurance and the guarantee of real life. And then commit to continue to open your mouth about Him with boldness and creativity. Tell your story. Do you understand? I want you to pray with me. Start with that first one. If you've never accepted Jesus and asked Him into your life to forgive your sin, to clean you and make you right with the Father, to solidify and make certain, not pretty sure, of your salvation today is that day for you. And so I invite you in the quietness of this moment to say between you and God, God, Forgive me for my sin. Wash me. I want to be clean and right with you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And today I make you the leader of my life. Help me grow in understanding that and help me to love you with my whole heart. Some of you need to start there. If you have started there, we want to help you take some next steps. So in this moment of prayer, hear me. If you've prayed that prayer, you need to tell somebody. And we would love to come alongside you and help. Others of you have already prayed that prayer. But you're coming to terms with the fact that you are God's plan A. And he doesn't have a plan B. And for you, I would encourage you to pray something like this. God, thank you that you've put me in a position to reach my huddle. Give me boldness and creativity simply to tell them what you've done in my life. That's it. Father, I thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. I thank you that you've invited us into a relationship with you. I thank you that you've provided the way by what Jesus has already done for us to be clean and right with you. Father, I thank you 
that you love us so much you can never take your eyes off us. I thank you that you look for those hearts who are yours that you might strongly strengthen us. I thank you that you've given us the charge and the responsibility to tell those in our huddle about you. Father, I thank you that through things as silly as a Super Bowl commercial, we can see the truth of Scripture and your plan for redemption for this world. Father, I thank you. You are a good God. And we are yours. In your name I pray, amen.